Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Today, I want to think about one of my favorite lines from the Mass, one of my favorite prayers in the Mass. It comes at that climactic moment, shortly before we receive Holy Communion. The priest holds up the host, and he says those sacred words, Blessed are those who are called to the Supper of the Lamb. I love that line, but what is this all about? What is the Supper of the Lamb? What, what is this imagery all about? Well, you know, we as Catholics, we know that when we receive Holy Communion, we're receiving the very body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. This is the most intimate union we can have with our God here on earth. This is amazing. He comes to dwell inside of us. And yet, sometimes when we go to communion, we don't really feel that closeness. We maybe don't experience this great intimate connection with our Lord at Holy Communion. We might feel bad about it. You know, sometimes maybe we're just distracted. You know, we're our minds wandering. We're thinking about problems at work. We're thinking about what we're going to do later today. We're thinking about, you know, what donuts they might serve after mass. You know, we're, we're, our mind gets easily distracted. You know, or or maybe we're just, you know, we're we're not just we just feel like we're not putting our heart into it. We feel like we're just going through the motions, and we know it's important. We know it's sacred. We bow our heads and we'll say a couple of prayers, but. Our hearts just, we just sense like maybe we're not connecting with Jesus like we want to. I mean, God is dwelling inside me, but I don't feel him being close to me. You know, other times I receive communion, it's beautiful. Other times I've got kids crawling all over me, a kid melting down, and I can't give my attention to Jesus. What do I do in those moments when I don't feel his closeness in Holy Communion? You know, we have to remember that no matter what we're feeling, no matter what we're sensing, we have to remember the truth The truth is that the Eucharist is the very presence of Jesus Christ, and our God longs to be with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us, and he comes upon our altars at Mass. That's just true. The God of the universe is dwelling right there in our midst at every Mass. But it gets even better. He doesn't just come upon our altars under the appearance of bread and wine. He wants to come inside us, to dwell inside us, and he really is there, whether our mind is paying attention, whether we're putting our heart into it, whether we sense his closeness, whether we feel like we're getting a lot out of this or not. The truth is that God Almighty is dwelling within us and he's doing a work in our souls. That's just true. And I think this beautiful prayer can kind of wake us up to remind us of how important this is, whether we feel his closeness or not. He really is there because we are going to the great heavenly banquet, the great mystical wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what this is all about from the book of Revelation. The climactic moment of all of Scripture is when the angel announces, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to a wedding feast, my friends, and that's what I'm so excited to get into and what this biblical background can tell us about this prayer and our experience in Holy Communion. So welcome to All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sri. I want to give a shout out to any new listeners joining us here for the first time. Thanks for checking out the show. And uh, I want to give a shout out to a number of people that I'm going to get to visit this year. I'm so excited uh, as we're starting to fill out the fall calendar, uh, doing a number of virtual events where I come visit a small group or I visit a a parish leadership team, Catholic school teachers, uh, marriage uh, enrichment couples, uh, Bible study groups, whatever it is. I'm going to be going 
uh, from coast to coast, from Virginia, uh, Richmond, Virginia, to Corvallis, Oregon, to Singapore overseas, to all of the vocation directors across the United States, the National Conference of Diocesan Vocation Directors, uh, to California, many other places. So excited to be able to do that. If you are interested, if you have a small group, you've got a men's group, a women's group, a Bible study group, or maybe uh, your parish is interested in a virtual event, you can contact me at events.edward3 at gmail.com to learn more. So that's events.edwardsri at gmail.com. And we're starting to fill up our fall schedule and into 2022. Uh, So these are events where I come. I I do a short presentation for about a half hour. uh, And then there's time for interaction, time for question answers. And and so I did so many of these. I think I did like about 100 of these last year. It was so fun. So I'm excited to do that here as we move into the new school year. So again, if you want to learn more about the possibilities of me coming to visit your group, to meet the people in your community, people in your parish, meet people in your small group, uh, a short presentation with Q&A afterwards, contact me at events.edward3 at gmail.com. That's events.edwardsri at gmail.com. Now, when we think about this line from the Mass, blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb, this comes at this this climactic moment in the book of Revelation, but it's really kind of the the culmination of of all of Scripture. We're coming to the very end of the entire Bible when you look at Revelation 19.9, and this is what St. John, who is the author of Revelation, and he's the one that, that has this mystical vision, he hears the angel say, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, now what's, what's fascinating is right before this, you, you have this rapid fire succession of, of, of all of a sudden all the angels in heaven saying, Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. In Revelation chapter 19, verses one through six, you hear the word Alleluia used four times in a row. It's incredible. And that's, that, that's quite exciting if, if you know the Bible, because this is a very important word, Alleluia, praise the Lord. Uh, it's used over and over again in the Psalms, especially for those pilgrimage Psalms when they were going up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts at the temple, like like Passover, they would go up and they would sing, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. So this very important biblical word, praise the Lord, associated with the Passover feast especially, and going on pilgrimage to the temple, this fascinating Christian word, Alleluia, did you know it only appears in one section of the whole New Testament? Did you know that? And, and it's right here in Revelation 19, and, and, and out of nowhere, you know, you, you read the Gospels, you read Acts the Apostles, you read all of Paul's letters, the other epistles, and yet you don't hear the word Alleluia until you get to Revelation 19 at the climax of the book of Revelation. Suddenly we hear Alleluia four times in a row. If we're reading this, that, that would wake us up and say, well, something really important is happening here. That's the word that the ancient Jews would, 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 would praise God with and sing as they were going up to Jerusalem for the great festivals on pilgrimage to the temple for feasts like Passover. And then the angel says to St. John, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the great thing we're praising God for, the great wedding feast that, that's coming together. Now, I, I want to make sure you understand this. What is this great wedding feast in the book of Revelation? This heavenly vision St. John has of the mystical wedding feast between Christ and his church. What is this all about? Well, 
all throughout salvation history, all throughout the Bible, there are many images used to describe our relationship with God. You know, we, we hear the image of, you know, God is the creator. He's the Lord of the universe. Uh, God is the lawgiver. He's the all-powerful one. Uh, there's other images that describe God's closeness to us, his relationship, like he's a father. Uh, Jesus Christ is described as our brother. But the, the image that's used to describe God's closeness most profoundly is that of marriage. Yeah, did you know that, that the Bible uses marriage imagery to describe the close union he wants to have with you? He loves you. You are his beautiful bride, and he just wants to be so close to you. Whether you're a, a woman hearing that, you know, or even a, a guy hearing that, we're all a part of the church, which is described in this bridal imagery, and Jesus is the bridegroom. But, you know, but going back to the Old Testament, you have all this imagery of, of bride and bridegroom that uh, God is like the bridegroom and he, he's getting married to his bride, Israel, the people of God, the people of Abraham. And, and their wedding is like at Mount Sinai. In fact, uh, some ancient rabbis describe like the, the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, when they were spoken and then received by the people. And the people said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That those words of exchange between God giving the Ten Commandments and the people saying, we will do all these words, all the words of the Lord, we will do. There were some ancient rabbis that described that as like their, the wedding vows, <laughs> the wedding vows between Yahweh, God, and, and the people of Israel. So there, it was as if they were wedded at Mount Sinai. And, and I love the beautiful imagery because it, it's describing the closeness God wants to have with his people. And, and that imagery continues throughout the Old Testament when Israel's faithful to the covenant. They're described as the pure, spotless bride. But when Israel turns away from the covenant and breaks the covenant and starts worshiping other idols, other deities, false gods, Israel's described as like an adulteress. And when she's really throwing herself at all of the pagan idols, pagan deities, Israel's described as like a harlot even, <laughs> you know? So there's all this marital imagery in the Old Testament. But what's fascinating is that even though Israel had many moments of great infidelity, they, like they cheated on Yahweh, on, on, their bri on their bridegroom, they cheated on their husband, they, they turned to all these other false gods in adultery. God never abandons his people. The bridegroom, Yahweh, loves his people, and he seeks them out. It's just, it's just fascinating. Like the, the prophet Hosea brings this out in Hosea chapter 2. God says, you know, even though you've turned away from me and you've sinned and you've thrown yourself at all these other gods, I still want to seek you out. I want to allure you. I want to woo you back. <laughs> I want to win your heart back. I just love this imagery because it, it really just reminds us, I don't know about you, but sometimes like when I do something wrong, you know, I, I, I make a mistake. I, I can just like really just hate myself for this and just go, why did I do that? Or, oh, I hurt this person or I let this person down. And, uh, and, and I feel really badly about it. But then when I, I turn to who God is, the God that's revealed in scripture, it just reminds me that, He's the loving bridegroom that even though his bride, Israel, cheated on him, God still seeks him out, wants, wants to woo Israel's heart back. 
And, and, and in Hosea chapter 2, there's the great promise that one day God will come back as bridegroom, that God is going to come to his people as bridegroom again. He's going to win their heart back. And he says, I'll betroth you, Israel, betroth you to me forever. Uh, and, and, and we're going to be betrothed forever, have an everlasting marriage. So there's all this prophetic expectation about the bridegroom Messiah, that one day the Messiah will come. God will come himself to his people to reunite himself. Even though they've sinned and turned away so many times, God seeks them out. So that's encouraging to me to know that I should never be ashamed, you know, no matter what I've done, as long as I'm really sorry and I bring it to the Lord in, in confession. And I really do repent. I really try to be better. I, I want to change. But I should never let my past define me because my God loves me so much and is seeking me out. My bridegroom is seeking me out. It's incredible. So that's why it's no mistake that when Jesus comes, you know, with all these prophecies about God as bridegroom and coming to his people to wed himself to the people again, you know, well, it's no surprise that Jesus performs his first public miracle when? Do you remember where it was in the context of a wedding, a wedding feast at Cana? There's all this marital imagery right there at the beginning, very beginning of his public ministry. That's John chapter two, the very next chapter, John chapter three, uh, same thing. St. Saint, uh, John the Baptist refers to Jesus as the bridegroom. John the Baptist says, hey, look, I'm just like the best man. I'm the, I'm the best man. I'm the one preparing the way for the bridegroom, making all the arrangements, getting things ready. But Jesus is the bridegroom. I'm just the best man. He must increase. I must decrease. You know. So right there, right at the very beginning of the public ministry, the first miracles in the context of a wedding feast, uh, St. John the Baptist is, is, is pointing to Jesus as the bridegroom. That's how he's being revealed. And, and we see this so many times. We can look at the, at the gospel stories and all the wedding imagery and the parables Jesus tells and the Last Supper has lots of wedding imagery behind it. That'll be a podcast for another time. I'd love to get into that more. But, but let me just say this, that the cross is revealed as, as the moment of the wedding, you know, of Jesus laying down his life for his bride, Ephesians chapter 5. He is laying down his life to win his wayward bride back. <laughs> That's how much he loves his bride. That's how much he loves you and me, that he's going to die for us. And then you get to Revelation chapter 19, and you have all this imagery of the bride and the bridegroom in the background, and, and we hear the angel announcing, blessed are those who are called to the wedding supper of the Lamb. This is the great wedding feast where Jesus, the bridegroom, is coming to wed his bride. The people of God, the church, which is you <laughs> and, and and me and and all the faithful Christians are going to be united to Jesus in this great wedding feast up in heaven. So it's the great mystical wedding feast of Christ and the church, the bridegroom and the bride. So when we go to mass, here, here's the, I want to make sure you get this. This is the most important part of what we're going to talk about today. Really pay attention right now. When we go to mass and the priest holds up the host and says, blessed are those who are called to the supper of the lamb. He, he's echoing the angel, angelic invitation in Revelation 19.9 to the wedding supper of the lamb. So did you realize when, when the priest says those words, you're getting a wedding invitation at that moment? <laughs> do you ever think, do you ever get a wedding invitation in the mail? You're invited to a wedding? Well, every time you go to mass, you are getting a wedding invitation. You're being invited to the wedding supper of the lamb, but, but it gets even better. It's not just you're getting an invitation. You're no ordinary guest at this wedding feast. Who are you? Think about it. Who are you? What role do you play at this wedding feast? You're the bride. 
Have you ever thought of yourself that way when you go to mass? Have you ever been to a wedding and you see the bride and she comes down the aisle? It's just so beautiful. You know, you tear up, you get excited. Oh, how amazing this is. This amazing love, this union that's about to take place. Well, do you realize every time you go to mass, whether you feel it or not, whether you sense it or not, whether you're concentrated enough or not, or you're distracted, whatever, the truth of the matter is when that priest says, Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. You are getting a wedding invitation, and you are no ordinary guest. You are the bride. You are a part of the church, and your bridegroom is coming to unite himself to you in the most intimate way possible in Holy Communion. So when you go down the aisle to receive communion, when you go down the aisle, you are the bride, the radiant bride coming to be united with the one who is love himself, love incarnate, Jesus Christ, is coming to unite himself to you. That's why Holy Communion is profoundly marital. Our divine bridegroom is coming to unite himself to us in the most intimate way possible here on earth. He's coming to give his very body to us, to unite himself to us. When I was in graduate school, I I did a whole paper uh, for Dr. Hahn, I remember this was like some 60-page paper. Uh, I think it was this title, Blessed Are Those Who Are Called to the Supper on the Lamb, but, but, uh, but it was a theology of the two sacraments of Holy Communion, the Eucharist and marriage. And I was tracing this whole imagery of the Eucharistic in the Bible, all from the Old Testament to the New, to Revelation, to the Mass, uh, and then the, the marital imagery in the Bible, and then show how they connect at multiple points, especially right here. And and I think that just transforms everything to, to know that even if I've got kids whining or breaking down, even if my mind wanders, even if I'm just really trying my best, I'm sitting quietly, but I just don't sense his presence. I have to remember the truth. The priest speaks the truth. He held up the consecrated host and he, he's representing the angels in heaven who say, blessed are those who are called to the wedding supper of the Lamb. The priest is echoing those words. And, and I have to remember that, that that's, that that's the truth. It's like the, there are angels. Every time we go to Mass, the angels are around us. And they're rejoicing for this great wedding feast because they know how much Jesus loves me and how much he wants to be so close to me. He wants, to, he wants me to abide in him. He wants to fill me with his, with his love. He wants to heal me with, 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 of my wounds, with, with the graces that come of him dwelling within me. Every Mass is a marital union with our Lord Jesus Christ, our bridegroom, mystically. You know, I don't want to take these imageries too far at all, of course, but, but there is a profound analogy that is rooted in Scripture, and you see it in the tradition. St. John Paul II uh, talked about some of these things. And, and I just find it so helpful to realize when I come back to my pew and I'm sitting there that no matter what's going on in my life and how you know, recollected I am, how fervent I feel at that moment, no matter, no matter what's going on there, my bridegroom is really coming and dwelling within me. And this is the time to rest with him, the time to just be there with him. Now, I try to pour out prayers and, and say, you know, tell the Lord I love him, you know. If I don't tell Jesus I love him when he's dwelling within me, when will I ever really express my love for Jesus, you know? So I tell him I love him. I, I, I thank him for things. I pour out my heart to him, my petitions to him. Again, I can pray to Jesus anytime, but when he's dwelling within me like this, I should really 
pour out my heartfelt petitions. Please, Jesus, help me with this problem. Help me overcome this weakness. Help me overcome this discouragement right now. Show me what I'm supposed to do. Help me with this project or this person and this relationship, whatever it is. You know, I, I pour out my heart to him in that time. But I think what's most important is to just quietly have moments to rest, to rest with him, to listen, to take time to just listen. You know, I think when lovers are just embraced, you know, our, our, our God, who is love, is dwelling within us. Take time to just listen to him, to be present to him who is so present to us in those moments. Every Holy Communion is, is so powerful, whether we feel it or not, because it is a participation in the wedding supper of the Lamb. I hope you enjoyed this. hope this was helpful and encouraging. This is all from my new book on the Mass called A Biblical Walk Through the Mass. Uh, I have a whole reflection all on just these words and every other prayer from the liturgy to understand the rich biblical background. Look, we just took that one little tiny uh, prayer from the Mass. Uh, imagine what's all throughout the entire liturgy. Uh, so much there. Check out my book, A Biblical Walk Through the Mass. And once again, if you want to learn more about me coming to visit your group, uh, a virtual small group event, uh, you can email me at events.edwards3.com. That's events.edwardsri.com. Thanks for listening. You can always reach me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. God bless.